Welcome to the New Zealand Property Management Podcast, hosted by Real IQ. I'm your host, David Faulkner, Director of Real IQ, and today uh, we have one of the uh, most iconic people within the property management industry. It's a pleasure uh, to talk today to one of the most recognisable names and faces within the property management industry, Bob Walters. Bob, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Welcome. Okay, no, it's wonderful, and I'm sure you would have done um, a lot of interviews in the past, uh, very much about you know your strategies on rent roll growth. But I don't know how many people have spoken to you about you and, and about your career. So this is what we want to um, what we want to do today. I mean, it's I would argue that you know you probably had more of an influence on the property management industry in New Zealand than, than anybody within our country. It, would you say that's that's fair, or you know, am I being am I talking you up too much here, Bob? What do you think? Is, so, that, yeah, so. is that because of the wine, Bob? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you, you, you're so highly thought of over here, and um, we kind of miss you coming over here on a professional basis. But you know, we'll know that we'll see you on your uh, travels with Dixie. What? How is Dixie, by the way? I mean, is is Dixie still very active, working away? And and, and what are you up to at the moment? Are, are you retired now, just playing golf every day? Because you're living on the Sunshine Coast, aren't you? Great. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a client over there in the US that we're organising a conference for at the moment. Um, that's a, a conference coming up in Las Vegas in March, and um, Dixie's also involved in organising a, a conference on the Gold Coast um, coming up in September. Yeah, so so no sign of you slowing down, Bob. Either, either you or Dixie, and, um, and 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 good on you. But what we want to do, Bob, today is just look back at, at your career and, and um, some of the lessons that you've learned, maybe even some of the mistakes that you've made and what you've learned from. I mean, you've been in this industry now nearly half a century. Is that correct? Yes, um, I started in 
So, going back to 1973, Bob, I mean, did you choose this as a career? What what made you pick property management? You know, how did this, how did it all begin? Uh, when I was um, a young boy growing up in, uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney, uh, one of my little friends um, had an uncle who was a real estate agent, and um, and he had um, a, a Dodge Phoenix car, which you know um, we sort of regard as a yank tank. Um, and um, I remember he had a car phone. He had this big black cord coming out of the dashboard, and would be driving around talking on his phone. And I thought, wow, you know, real estate agent driving around in a magnificent car and uh, having a car phone, which was um, pretty much unheard of back in those days. And I thought, well, real estate agent must be uh, rich people. So I thought, well, I'll become a real estate agent and hopefully be a, a rich person. I started um, working weekends. Um, so I, I worked um, worked in the bank Monday through five, Monday through Friday and. Saturday and Sunday, I worked um, renting flats out uh, on a commission-only basis. That's how I got in the industry. So, so can I ask how how old you were, Bob? Yeah, I went into real estate when I was eighteen. Right, right. So you worked at the bank full time, and then decided that you're right, you're going to have a crack at real estate at, at an early age of eighteen. I mean, look, obviously the industry it would have evolved hugely you know with, with the evolution of internet and technology and whatever but what are the basics which kind of remain the same um from back in the early 70s to, to today well you know certainly technology is having a big influence on the industry these days um everybody wants everything uh, uh super fast these days but certainly one of the things that hasn't changed certainly in, in my career has been the fact that Property management is still very much a people business, mm. and um, property investors like to have personal uh, relationships with their property managers. They want to know yeah, they can call up their property manager uh, when, when, whenever they need advice, and um, and that they've got you know a real live person sort of looking after the uh, after their best interests rather than. Um, than uh, a computer. You know, certainly, also, what hasn't changed is that um, the industry is still dominated by females. Right. And that's really because um, women are much better at property management than men. Bob, that's 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 you. Yeah, you, no, that's, you, 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 that's a radical thing to say. <laughs> Please don't think I'm being sexist here. In my view, I think that women are better property managers than men. Oh, God, right, right, okay, okay, right, okay, fine, fine. Uh, and, um, and, and so... It hasn't changed, it's a dominated industry. Well, look, it's, it is predominantly. We are seeing more men come into the industry over here in New Zealand, and um, which is, I mean, we, we survey the industry quite a lot, and, and funny enough, most of the business owners are male, um, but most of the people who, who work in the industry are female. Um, so, but we, we are starting to see a bit of parity in terms of uh, business ownership. We're seeing a lot of female business owners come through. And the other thing is we don't see any gender bias on, on pay. Uh, everyone seems to be paid 
relatively the same um, according to you though women probably should be paid more because they're better according to Bob Walters anyway but you know anyway what's what's been what's um, is, is it easier now or, or do you think it was easier back then without all the technology was it because we're so dependent now on technology you know I dare to say it would probably we don't force the relationships that probably happened in your day I think some things are easier today and some things are harder. Now, if I look back when I started, for example, you know, we didn't have computers back in 1973. So, um, you know, when a tenant was paying rent, you know, rent was paid typically in the office in cash. Um, you'd write out a handwritten receipt. You'd keep uh, manual ledger cards and mm-hmm. things like that. The end of month would take three days to do because you have to type up rent statements using carbon paper and um, and of course um, one, of, one of my one of my early jobs in, uh, in property management uh, apart from uh, having to go door to door collecting rent of a Saturday uh, was also um, back in the area where I, oper- I operated we there were a lot of um, blocks of flats and they had um, communal laundries that had coin operated uh, washing machines and yeah. dryers in them and so one of my jobs was to go and um, em- empty out the coin boxes in the um, in the washing machines and then go back to the office and count up all the 20 cent pieces and then go and put the money into um, the owner's bank account so yeah. you know there were some things back then that were very slow laborious and, and tough not necessarily safe as well, Bob. I mean, you know, if you're going around all these flats in, in western suburbs of Sydney, knocking on the door saying, pay your rent, I mean, you know, are you taking a baseball bat with you? <laughs> Have you got security with you? What do you do to look after yourself? Now, the funny thing was, um, you know, uh, some days I would have, you know, north of $50,000 uh, in cash um, in, a, in a Gladstone bag that I'd be carrying around with my receipt book. And I suppose it was probably just good luck that I uh, I didn't get money. Unbelievable! But, um, Unbelievable! Yeah. One of the things that are, one of the things that are definitely harder today than when I started is that um, uh, landlords and tenants um, customer service expectations now are much higher yeah. Than, yeah. Uh, today than what they were when I was uh, starting in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1973. Uh, landlords would forgive you if you made a mistake. Yeah. Where today you make a mistake and they want to, um, you know, they want to um, kill you if you make a mistake. Yeah, we're struggling with that over here a little bit, Bob. We're going through major transitions over here in New Zealand. Um, I mean, we'll come on to that later on in, in, in the conversation. So, I mean, you've started out. You've, you've been. You've, you're doing a little bit in real estate. You've, you've worked your way up as a as a property manager. What was the? You know, when did you decide that this was going to be the career for you? When you had that big step into your, you know, when you went into say business ownership or into senior management. When did you know that this is this is this is my calling? Um, I think uh, quite quite early in the piece. I had a really good uh, first employer in um, in real estate, and I actually worked for that guy for for about twenty years um, of my sort of forty five year career um, in various roles. But um, um, when I came to the realization that uh, as you grow a rent roll, um, certainly in Australia, that uh, turns into a you know, a very valuable asset, mm. and um, 
in my view, yeah, building a significant rent roll is really like uh, creating your own uh, superannuation fund uh, because it's a, uh, it's a valuable asset that you can liquidate down the track and, um, and uh, use that money to retire on. So when did you become, when, how old were you when you became a business owner? That first employer actually financed me into my first office um, in 1980. Right. So I had sort of seven years doing, um, doing property management and then sales. And then uh, in 1980, I, um, I opened my first uh, real estate business. Yep. That was in Parramatta in Sydney. Yep. And I, uh, built, uh, over the 10-year period, I built up a rent roll from zero to just under a thousand yeah. managements over that 10-year period. Yeah. And uh, in ninety, I sold that business. Okay, so you would have been uh, guessing around mid to late 20s when you started that, and then you built up this, what would have been a, a sizable piece of, you know, worth quite a bit of money, uh, even in today's talk you know yeah. you would have sold that basically before you were 40 you know late 30s yeah yeah so, um uh, when i when i went into my own business i was about uh 25 so i sold it that when i was 35 mm. um and when i sold that um that's when i sort of became yeah financially secure yeah um so then i didn't um I didn't need to have a mortgage anymore and, um, you know, I had money in the bank and so on. And then I sort of went off into doing things. Yeah, so, so what's kept the fire burning, Bob? Once you're financially secure, like in your mid-30s, and, and, you know, most people nowadays, they haven't even, they're not even getting the first house until the, in the mid to late 30s, and here you are, mortgage paid off and everything. What's kept you going? What, what's kept the fire burning? It's a really good question. Um, I mean, to me... Um, Property management um, just gets in your blood, and if you've got a passion for something, you know, you really, um, you really, um, you really, I suppose, look forward to to being in business, growing, uh, growing a, a sizable asset. Um, and in my case, um, um, having gone from just being a coal-based property manager and then into business ownership, and then after selling out that business, as I said, I headed up a franchise group for three years, and then I went into the training side. Mm. So, yeah, you know, I've done property management training since 1983, um, and so, and then the training side, you know, in the business sort of gets into your blood too. Yeah. Uh, as you would probably know now, I would think um, with all the training consulting work that you do. Oh, look, Bob, it's. Um, it's a wonderful feeling. Now, if we go back to like the early eighties when you when you started this business, what were the what were the key lessons that you know? What were the first of all the mistakes that you, you made? Was was running a business what you thought it was going to be, or was it just like, oh my god, what am I doing? You know, what were the, what were the first couple of years like being a business owner? The, the first few years were were tough, of course, because um, back then there wasn't uh, much training available for. Um, business ownership mm. you know there was property management training and sales training and so on but there was very little training available on on how to run a successful uh, real estate agency um, I was lucky that, that my very first employer um, he mentored 
brought me through all that and actually uh, financed me in the beginning to, to, to start that business. Um, but if I look back at some of the big mistakes I've made, you know, some of them would be the fact of um, uh, back in the early days expecting property managers to grow the rent roll yep. when in fact um, uh, it, it took me a little while to actually come to the realisation that you really needed sales people to grow a rent roll, not property managers. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, so I think wasted some time in the early, early years um, thinking that property managers would grow the business when in fact, um, you know, the, they didn't have the right skill set to be able to do that. Yeah. So, you know, that was probably a mistake in the early years. Um, another mistake I made was um, uh, partnering with a, uh, with a guy that um, ended up um, being a, a very bad business partner for me and, uh, and it became quite ugly. Um, so uh, one of the expensive lessons I learned was to be very careful who you uh, take in as a business partner. Yeah, I was going to say, how did that end? I mean, was how did that end? I mean, I see these mistakes all the time. People go in, they're blinded by, oh, we're going to do this together, but they're not thinking about the end game and what happens when things go wrong. So, so you know, how much of a painful exercise was that and what did you have to do? Did you have to, like, buy them out or, or, or how did that finish? Yeah, well, what happened was I... I took him on as a, um, as a partner, he actually was a landlord client at the time, and he was uh, an accountant, and, um, and I was, I suppose, feeling a bit burnt out, that's probably one of the reasons yep. why I took on a partner, that I wanted someone to sort of share, share the load, but, um, and so I stupidly uh, lent, lent him money, which then he couldn't repay. Mm. And so I lost uh, I lost a chunk of money there by sort of financing him into um, into his uh, half ownership of the business, and then he couldn't pay me back. And um, funny thing was, um, when I became uh, the CEO of that uh, franchise group, um, he then became a franchise owner, and um, we ended up kicking him out of the franchise group. And also, uh, I lost a significant amount of money uh, by him not being able to pay me back. Yeah, yeah. Can we can we touch on your um, being the the CEO now, or work, working as a CEO with a major franchise? Who was that? Was that the McGrath Group, or, or I mean, you talked about working with John McGrath. What what was that like? Um, no, um, I I uh, I was CEO of a franchise group that had thirty three offices. Right. It was a company called Robert R. Andrew. Um, as I said, I was um, I was basically head of this group of thirty-three offices, but um, uh, that group ended up being sold to Harcourt. Right. Uh, when I left, um, you know, they sort of lost their way a little bit, and um, and uh, the group ended up being sold to to Harcourt. Right. Right. So, I mean, you've gone from managing a small team to managing really a big team of of business owners, of franchise holders, and, and different challenges because you know 
obviously you're not at the coalface all the time with them. You can't be there holding the hand 24-7. What were the biggest challenges you found from heading a big franchise group? Well, you know, uh, the, the clients, my clients were actually the uh, owners of real estate businesses. And um, my biggest challenge there was... Uh, trying to make gold out of lead. So to, to, to actually explain that, um, uh, there were some franchise owners that um, should never um, have been given a franchise and, uh, and they were not good at running uh, their businesses. And so um, I, just, I just called it um, trying to make gold out of lead. Yeah. Um, trying to actually make... Um, make businesses successful um, when they're being run by people that should never be in charge of a real estate business. Yeah, yeah. Frustrating? That was my biggest challenge. Yeah, that would have been frustrating, wouldn't it? Very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. So, Very frustrating. So you mentioned about John McGrath. What, what's he like to work with? I mean, what was your involvement with uh, McGrath? My involvement with McGrath was um, uh, after I left the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, um, um, well, while I was with the REL in New South Wales, um, I was doing the bulk of the property management training for the REI, and John McGrath was actually doing a lot of the sales training for the REI, and so we got to know each other through the training arm of the REI. Mm. And when I left the REI, I started up a consulting business. Yep. Uh, guide business owners on how to grow their rent rolls and how to systemize their businesses and so on. And um, one of the first calls I got when I left the REI was from John McGrath who said, um, yeah, Bob, I want to grow my rent roll you know, from the current 400 managements to 1,500 um, and I want you to come and help me do that and, um, uh, and also systemize the business. So. Uh, I went there initially as a consultant and uh, I was there for six months as a consultant and then he offered me a, a full-time job there so uh-huh. I ended up um, being there for about five and a half years and so um, as I said when I went there we had 400 properties under management and uh, when I left five and a half years later they had about 2,600 right. properties under management. Right. So uh, I, I, was head, I was head of property management at McGrath uh, during that uh, five and a half year period. But um, he was a very, very um, motivational person to work for. He was a you know, very big thinker. Mm. Um, I probably learned more in five and a half years there than I did for the previous 20 years in the industry. Right. Yeah, I learned uh, I learned a hell of a lot during that period. Um, but John was also um, someone who would all, always challenge you to to do things bigger and better than you used to. You know, um, like for example, uh, yeah, when he said, "Look, Bob, I want you to grow the rent roll from 400 to 1500, and uh, I'll give you 18 months to do it." Yeah, my belief system back then told me that there's no way you could grow a rent roll that fast. Mm. But, um, you know, in fact, um, we found ways to grow the rent roll very rapidly and, uh, 
and John was sort of such a uh, a challenger of um, of think of people's thinking that um, as soon as we looked like hitting that fifteen hundred target, he moved the goalpost further back and um, changed the goal to two thousand management. So uh, he would be constantly challenging to uh, to do things better. He, he sounds very similar to my old boss at, at, at Property Brokers, Tim Morrison, who, who'd set the target and you'd get closer than the target. It, it, the same. It's amazing how these successful people in business, whether it's real estate, whatever it may be, um, they, they've probably got the same kind of like DNA and how they think. I mean, was this done, no, no purchases? This was all done organically through in the McGar Group? Um, there, were a of, there were a couple of small acquisitions. John John was obviously about building um, not only a rent roll but building a powerful sales business and a couple of opportunities came up to take out um, a few of uh, McGrath's competitors Mm. and actually recruit the owners of those businesses uh, into into his sales team. Mm. So we did a a couple of smaller acquisitions but the vast majority was all organically grown. And, and, and the biggest source, Bob, is it, I mean, is it through when you've got a big sales team? You know, are you leveraging a lot of the sales team? Or are, are, are the BDM's expected to go out and, you know, build their own databases and, and, and work those databases and just get organic leads outside of sales? How did it work? Um, well, having a big sales team was, you know, was a, um, was a very good, um, I suppose, a very good source of new business because, um, you know, for example... When I left, we had five BDMs in property management, and they were growing about 75 managements a month um, between them. Right. And, um, and a, a lot of the, a lot of that business came from uh, working the sales open for inspections. Yeah. Now, for example, yeah. At McGrath, they would be doing at least a hundred sales open for inspections a week, and even if you had um, you know, ten people through each open, you know, that's a thousand people yeah. a week, um, and at least twenty percent of those were uh, investors. So there were at least two hundred new uh, leads coming in a week. Uh, just through that one source alone. Yeah, Bob, I mean, it staggers me even today that we still haven't learned how to do that effectively and, and coaching the salespeople. Just find out, you know, you know, or, or, you, you know, you got to live in this house? No, 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 it's an investment property. There you go. There's a lead over to the BDMs and on the database and away you go. Unbelievable. What's giving you that X factor, Bob? What's giving you, because, you know, there's lots of people that you see them appear on the training circuit and whatever, but you've had that longevity now for you know almost four decades. You're still almost probably the go-to person. What's giving you that X factor? Well, I suppose for me, what I would regard as the the X factor um, is that um, I've always believed that when it came to training, that um, uh, it's all about the credibility you have of actually walking in those shoes yourself. Um, that's why I said, you know, that the time that I actually cease to become a practitioner will be the time that I cease to, to do training mm. because I've always believed that you couldn't legitimately stand on stage and um, uh, tell people how to grow a rent roll or tell business owners um, how, how 
how to run a better property management business if you haven't walked in those shoes yourself. Mm. Because you know, I, I, I just believe that you know, there are there are some people out there in this industry that are uh, calling themselves calling themselves you know, trainers and consultants and so on, and in many cases trying to guide the steps of um, of business owners. But they've never actually been in business themselves, um, um, running their own rent rolls and things like that. So, for me, uh, if you want to call it an X factor, it would be the fact that I've always been a practitioner yeah. and sort of practicing what I'm preaching. So, you know, you, you finish with McGrath's, you start, is that when you start true property management, you know, over there in, in, in Sydney? I've had two. Yeah, I've had two distinct uh, journeys in terms of rent roll growth. There was the one that was, at, that was in Parramatta back in the 80s. Mm. And then after I left McGrath and, um, and had seen that I had, over that five and a half year period, um, I had uh, grown McGrath's rent roll asset to be around $12 million, uh, of which uh, n- none of that was mine. Yeah. Uh, I got paid well for my services, but um, during that period I grew no asset of my own. Mm. And so after I left McGrath, I uh, went back into the industry and started up True Property. Um, I started it as a 100% pure property management business initially. Um, Then after a few years, we actually added a sales arm to the business as well. Mm. So I had... um, I true property for about, um, I don't know, I think uh, about 10 years or what, and, uh, and therefore I was growing my own asset, um, and I've sort of exited out of, I've exited, exited out of true property um, finally um, uh, late last year. I ended up having to split the rent roll because I couldn't find a buyer um, for uh, than one buyer for the whole rent roll, so I ended up selling half the rent roll to uh, another real estate agency, and the other half uh, I sold to two of the property managers that worked for me. The sort of final uh, chunk was um, was actually sold uh, late last year. And, and and how does it feel? How how do you feel now, Bob? I mean, you know, you, all that's behind you. Um, you've you've, you've We'll come on to LPMA in a minute, and, and and you're starting up that. But how does it feel now to just have moved out of that and now just doing a bit of the brokerage and, and doing what you're doing? You you you're still clearly a, a very busy man. Um. Well, I don't know what you'd call busy. I play golf three times a week. Oh well. So I'm busy doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, with Dixie and I doing a bit of travelling at the moment. Yeah. And uh, and so really me. I'm uh, I'm relaxing, taking it easy, um, and uh, you know, the consulting and brokerage work and so on really only occurs in between golf games and uh, yeah. and uh, journeys uh, around the planet. I have to say, Bob, you look you you, you look really really well. You look really oh, fit oh, and well. Yes. Now, LPMA, can we? You know, so when did LPMA start? Because this has become quite a, a significant um, constitution now you know you, you, you came up with the idea for this back when when did this start um, LPMA uh, was really born um, around 
2007. Mm. Um, and you know what started? Um, uh, I don't know. Have you ever have you ever met a guy called Tony Warren? I've I've know the name, but I've never met him. Tony's a very good friend of of mine, and um, we were both in uh, property management at the same time. Um, I was in Sydney. He was in Melbourne. Uh, he was a, a property management guru down in Victoria, and I, I he was sort of my mentor in the very, in the early days. And um, anyway, um, Tony and I both uh, have a habit of drinking too much, mm-hmm. and uh, in particular red wine. And uh, LPMA was born out of a sort of a boozy lunch that we had up in uh, the wine area of the Hunter Valley where we sort of sat down and decided that um, there was uh, room in the industry for a a specialist association purely for residential property managers. Because um, uh, back then and even now, um, most of the state real estate institutes in Australia don't really do much for the property management side of the industry. Um, they do a lot for the sales side of the industry, but um, um, property management has often been uh, uh, ignored or, or not given the um, not given the status that it, that it really deserved. And so we decided we were going to start up a uh, a specialist uh, association for residential property managers, and um, and therefore it started with a conference in order to launch it. And so I think we started off with um, about 70 people at the first um, LPMA conference and it's progressively built up um, you know, over, the, over the years to be now one of the major conferences uh, in Australia. It, it's, it's the same in, in New Zealand, Bob. It, it's fascinating to see how it's evolved and you touched on the around like with real estate institutes, um, predominantly and it's a criticism over here but i do have to say you know the current you know the heads of what we've got running the real estate institute in new zealand i'm not just saying this because we haven't we work with them but i mean we've got the most wonderful ceo here in in a lady called bindi norwell who seems to be doing a lot for property management but why do you think that um you know these real estate institutes historically have just not paid the attention that property management deserves because the value of a real estate business is really within property management isn't it it seems ludicrous to me that you know it's an afterthought yeah well um i'm probably not going to tell you here anything you don't already know but um certainly in australia um most real estate agencies are owned by salespeople Hmm. or ex-salespeople and um therefore um over the, over the time that I've been in, in, in the industry, um, the people that then go and stand for election, uh, at the boards of these REIs are in many cases uh, salespeople or, as I said, ex-salespeople. And so most of the, um, you know, most of the effort, most of the uh, training and stuff was pitched around uh, at sales. Yeah. And not... Uh, and a whole lot for property managers. To this very duck, um, um, the the biggest real estate institute, uh, that's the New South Wales one, I don't think that uh, they've run a property management conference for several years. Yeah. And yet, 
of the um, of the businesses, uh, and yet they don't seem to be uh, giving that the uh, the exposure or the treatment that it really deserves. Can we touch on just the future, not just your future, but where you see the industry going? I mean, I'll tell you what I what I see it potentially going, and, and you can share your views on this. I mean, clearly the outsourcing is a is a big industry now, particularly in Australia. It's starting to get a little bit of traction now in in New Zealand, where we're seeing you know people doing um, arrays or automated jobs in the Philippines. We've got to see more and more technology come into how housing performs. We've got an amazing business in in New Zealand called Tappy, which is a maintenance style management business. Um, we've got businesses coming in which will read temperatures and carbon dioxide emissions of homes, which is feeding information through to property managers. And I had a chat with a, a, a friend in the UK, and, and his feeling is is that you know the property manager is going to have to become more of a legal consultant to the landlord um, to make sure the landlord remains compliant because there's a lot of automated things which will now be moved away from what a property manager would do. It concerns me a little bit, but it's just it's a natural evolution of the industry. Where do you see the industry heading? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to not be uh, overly um, negative about this, but um, I've got some fears for the industry yeah. as well because... Um, I, I, I just think that it's so hard now being a property manager with all the compliance issues and the customer service demands by both landlords and tenants. Um, and there's a lot of uh, competition in the, in the industry. There's pressure on uh, fees. We have downward pressure on fees. And so uh, profit margins, I believe, uh, in Australia are being squeezed uh, a lot because of um, because of competition and, and the demands put on by landlords and tenants and so the only way in my view that businesses can maintain their profitability or improve their profitability going into the future is to is to if you can't put your prices up yeah. the only other way to maintain profits is to lower your costs. Mm. And the biggest cost is labour, and therefore, um, you know, I think you're just going to see an increasing amount of um, what I call, you know, swamp swamp work, uh, increasing amounts of swamp work um, um, outsourced to uh, cheaper workers, um, and increasing their use of technology um, because it. Uh, just too hard property management these days to you know, to be able to maintain these customer service levels and to do it at a profit. Um, you really have to be looking at uh, technology to be um, to be um, helping you in the industry and, and as I said, low, you know, lower um, wages costs, which means outsourcing. Yeah, it does. It does. It it's it scares me. I mean, I came over here, Bob. I mean, <laughs> to do what I've done with with Real IQ, and my philosophy was to grow the industry in New Zealand. That's why I've always been. I can understand why business owners do it. Really, I, I do. You know, but uh, I, I, it would pain me to say, right? I reckon that you go and set up this call centre or go and use this business in the Philippines to get your wage costs down because we're just. Are we taking jobs away? Are we? You know, are we damaging? Are we, are we damaging our industry? Because in New Zealand, we have, we've had 
because it's unregulated, we've got too many companies, they all undercut on fees, property managers have to manage too many, the profit margins are, are, are not there. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a race to the bottom, I call it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't agree more. And I suppose um, uh, I have a, a little bit of a sense of relief not uh, not having to wrestle with those issues anymore. Yeah, yeah, it, it does concern me going forward what this industry is going to be like. And we're seeing a lot of churn of property managers as well because of, you know, it's just got a little bit nastier, whether it's social media. Over here, Bob, we've got stories every day, journalists trolling, you know, tribunal orders. And we're seeing property managers just break down in tears almost. It, it's it's quite sad to see. And I think, you know, if my message to every employer out there, Bob, is your number one priority is your staff. You've got to look after them. You know, growth. You're not going to get growth if you haven't got a happy, if you got a happy team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll wind up with, with you know we're with the Godfather of property management here on the Real IQ Property Management Podcast, Bob Walters, um, living the life of luxury now on the Sunshine Coast uh, with Dixie playing golf, God knows how many days a week. One of the touch on you know just a few final things to finish off with. Um, rec- books that you can recommend. What are the books which have stuck in your mind, which have thought, oh, I've really learned from that. What you know, any recommended reading that you can give to any potential entrepreneurs out there and, and people who want to get into business themselves. Um, there's three books that I think have influenced me the most in my career, but there's three books that have been around for many decades. Um, um, one is called uh, Up the Organisation by a guy called Robert Townsend. Um, he was the guy who turned uh, the Avis rent-a-car business around. Right. The business was going backward. And he, um, he had some really interesting philosophies about uh, you know, how, to, how to run a business. And uh, so that, that book was given to me very early in my career. And, and to this very day, there are a lot of the teachings uh, from that book that I, um, that I still uh, think about and use today. So it's uh, up the organisation. Um, another one is uh, the One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. Yep. Which is uh, a book about time management for, for bosses. Uh, that was a great influence uh, on me um, you know, during my years running a, a property management business. And uh, more recent times, a book called Influence by um, Dr. Robert Cialdini. Um, uh, that's about the, the six universal rules of influence that, um, that people use to get people to say yes reflexively without thinking. Mm. Um, he was a, he's a university professor from the US who, um, who actually left the university for a couple of years and um, basically took jobs in uh, various industries to work out what people did to get other people to say yes, and he uh, uh, and he came up with these six universal rules of influence. Uh, and I, I just found that book fascinating, um, particularly with all the research and examples and things in it. 
sounds like a great book and property management that's one of the things i say to people coming in it's almost as an industry bob it has everything doesn't it It, it, it's got that psychology of dealing with people and trying to influence them uh, which is a unique skill set in itself but then you've got all these little measurable transactions um you know that you can use to measure business performance but there's there's that people aspect which we're starting to just i think we're starting to learn how to measure it you know through whether it's net promoter scores or whatever it may be um but yeah they they sound like some 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 great great reading bob and um you know to just to, to wrap up we've got um cricket world cups going on australia australia looking looking really good mitchell stark and we've got the ashes coming up who's going to win the ashes mate well that's that's an easy question to answer uh, the aussies are going to win oh, God, come on bob Come on. Anyway, anyway, Bob. Um, listen, it's been it's been an absolute, you know, great to talk to you. You're a great guy, and uh, we miss you coming over here. And hopefully, we'll get to see you again in the flesh, and, and maybe not on a professional basis, uh, but certainly, you know, enjoying our fine wine over here. Um, Bob Walters, absolute pleasure. Thanks heaps, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, uh,